Welcome to the Weekly Insight Podcast, where we break down the noise of the week and help you understand the psychology of the markets with your host, Andrew Dore at Insight Wealth Group. Good morning. Thank you for joining us in the latest edition of the Weekly Insight Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Andrew Dore. I really appreciate you spending some time this week with us to hear what's going on in the markets and the economy. Before we jump off, I want to do what I do every week and just remind you that what you're about to hear today should not be construed as individual investment advice, especially this week. We're going to talk a little bit about earnings, and I want to make sure that you understand we're not making stock picking recommendations, but there are some important conversations to have. As you will recall, last week we promised you a pretty big week. In that regard, it certainly didn't disappoint. The reasons it was a big week, well, we had earnings starting with the big banks. We also had inflation data. There was certainly some disappointment this week, but there was also, I would say, the market starting to come to a realization that maybe things might get a little bit better. But before we dig into this, I do want to make one point that even with inflation at 9.1% and some less than impressive bank earnings, The market held pretty well. In fact, since the market came out on June 15th and announced their 75 basis point rate hike, all the major indices are up substantively. Even the Bloomberg aggregate bond index is up. What does that look like today? We've got over the last month, the S&P is up five and a quarter. The Dow Jones is up four and a half. The NASDAQ is up seven and a quarter. And even the bonding index is up about 1.6. So we have seen the market... I think maybe put a little bit of a bottom in. We're going to talk about that, though. And let's start by looking at inflation. So inflation, 9.1%. Worst number in 41 years. As you'll recall, when we talked last week and several weeks, uh, several of the last weeks, frankly, we've talked about the fact that the June inflation numbers were a little bit up in the air. No one really knew what to expect. Everyone, I think, including us, was fairly confident that core CPI would continue to fall. And it did. It dropped to 5.9%. In fact, it's been down every month since March when it reached its peak at 6.5%. And it's now at the lowest level we've seen since the end of 2021. So that's good news. But headline inflation, you know, we've broken this down before. Headline inflation or all items inflation continues to be the big story over the last several weeks and last several months. And it created headlines again. Maybe that's why they call it headline inflation with that number at 9.1%. You all know the story by now. You've been there. If core CPI is dropping and headline is rising, it's clearly due to one of two issues, food or fuel. And there's some great data in our weekly insight memo. You can certainly go look at the charts. But as you will see, energy was the big one again. So energy prices rose 41.6% in June. Diving a little, uh, excuse me, energy prices were 41.6% higher than last June. They didn't rise 41% in a single month. Diving a little bit deeper into that, we can see that gasoline costs for consumers over the last 12 months have risen about 60%, 59.9%. And that is really where consumers are feeling it today. So the question that we've been asking for the last couple of weeks is we know that energy prices peaked in early June in terms of the, the raw commodities. But the question was, 
Was that going to be felt by consumers in June, or were we going to continue to see rising energy inflation because that hadn't quite yet trickled down? As of the time that we pulled this data, oil prices are down nearly 25% from their high. Natural gas prices are down, I think, 35% from their high. In fact, oil prices closed last Thursday below the price where they were prior to the start of the war in Ukraine. But it takes a little bit of time to feel that at the pump. And so if you go... Now, this is a little bit separate data than the inflation data, but if we go over to the Department of Energy and look at the Energy Information Administration at the DOE, we see that despite the drop in oil prices, the average price paid for a gallon of gasoline in June rose nearly 50%. It rose from $4.55 to $5.03 in the month of June, and that $5.03 number was the highest number ever recorded. That's the bad news. But in all bad news, there is some good news. According to AAA, now, again, I'm jumping data sources here because Department of Energy doesn't release their data until after the end of the month. But AAA does release average gasoline prices on a daily basis. And as of Friday, July 15th, last Friday, the average cost of a gallon of gasoline in the United States had dropped all the way back down to $4.58 a gallon, almost all the way to where it was in the month of May. That was down nearly 15 cents from the week prior, obviously down from the high of over $5 on June 14th. If that price holds, and we compare, because remember with CPI, we're comparing year over year, If that price holds and we would compare it to July of 21, where it was $3.23, we would see that gasoline inflation is 41% year over year. That's still steep, but it's dramatically lower than the 60% we saw in June. So what's the result of that? The result is I think it's likely that we saw the peak of headline inflation, at least for now, just a few days ago when we got the June report. And frankly... I think the market agrees. We'll talk a little bit later about what the what the markets did last week. Actually, you know what? Let's talk about it right now before we dive into earnings. Because even though we had a really bad inflation number and frankly had a not so great week for earnings for the big banks, we still saw the S&P only down a little less than 1% last week. So I think the market, again, is really kind of getting to the point where they're accepting this data and they priced in some of the worst scenarios. So now let's dive into bank earnings. Bank earnings disappointed a little bit. If last Wednesday was Inflation Day, Thursday was Jamie Dimon Day. Jamie Dimon is the chairman of J.P. Morgan, as many of you are aware. The market pays a whole heck of a lot of attention to Mr. Dimon when he speaks because he controls a ton of capital. We're going to focus on the J.P. Morgan report, although I would argue that most of the big banks' reports were fairly similar in this regard. But I just thought that the J.P. Morgan call was really emblematic of what's going on, and it was a good example of what drove the market. So first, let's get this. Let's get the data out of the way. J.P. Morgan underperformed analysts' expectations for the quarter. Analysts were expecting $2.88 a share in earnings, and the result ended up being about $2.76 per share. Revenues also underperformed. They came in at about $31.63 billion versus about $31.95 billion expected. 
All of that led to the stock being down nearly 4% immediately after the report came out. It was a pretty big hit. And frankly, the whole market was down 2% Thursday morning off the news of the JP Morgan data. The big takeaway from the call in the media was that the bank was building in additional loan loss reserves of $428 million and was suspending share buybacks. So what does that mean? That means that they were setting aside capital for what they believed they were going to lose in loans. Although that's not exactly what's happening and we'll dig into that. And then second of all, suspending share buybacks, that means they're not gonna be buying their shares on the open market. When they buy their own shares in the open market, that is accretive to shareholders in JP Morgan. There was some disconnect, however, I believe, between what was said to the press and what was reported as to the why of those decisions. So Mr. Diamond and his CFO who led the call were very clear that the reasoning behind the changes was to comply with the stress test requirements that come from the Federal Reserve. So let's talk about that. Going all the way back 14, 15 years here, the 2008 financial crisis. After that happened, there was a lot of argument about banks that were quote unquote too big to fail. And what the market was saying and what people were saying and what politicians were saying is that they really didn't like the fact that the government had to bail out banks who made bad decisions. And so what happened was a real firming up for these very large banks of what their credit standards could look like. And now every year, the Federal Reserve puts them through a quote unquote stress test to make sure that they would be able to weather a very, very bad financial storm. Well, Mr. Diamond was more than a little perturbed about the newest set of capital requirements posed by the most recent stress test. He described in his comments the formula for this stress test as a, quote, black box, meaning they don't really know what the formula is, but they know that the Fed is requiring them to set aside more and more and more money, thus the $428 million in loan loss reserves. He's frustrated because he said, listen, JP Morgan didn't even lose money in 2008. We survived. We didn't need federal government bailout, although they were forced to take it and they paid it back very, very quickly. My response, I think everyone's response, I get his frustration, but I'm also very glad that there is someone leaning on these big banks and making sure they don't put themselves in the position they were 15 years ago. But there was a big disconnect there. I'm going to go to the article I read, the CNBC article that was, you know, kind of front of the headlines on Thursday morning. And they didn't really get that link in that article. At least they weren't passing it along to their readers. They instead linked these decisions to, quote, Diamond's increasingly cautious stance and cited a quote from him where he was talking about geopolitical tension, high inflation, waning consumer confidence, Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera. When this comes from a guy who just a few weeks ago was warning about a, quote, financial hurricane, it can really give people the sense that there is something scary coming, that things are going to get bad and they're going to get bad quick. Well, it's one thing to read the article. I then went and read the transcript. Yeah, Diamond did warn about the fact that a recession might be on the horizon. Of course, we've said this, many people have said this, a recession is coming. Why? A recession is always coming. We have one every six years historically in America. But he also said this when he was asked about his financial hurricane quote. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna just read his quote here. Quote, consumers are in good shape. They're spending money. They have more income. Jobs are plentiful. They're spending 10% more than last year, almost 30% plus more than pre-COVID. 
businesses, you talk to them, they're in good shape. They're doing fine. We've never seen business credit be better, ever, like in our lifetimes. And that's the current environment, end quote. That doesn't sound nearly as dire. But what if we do get a recession? What if the storm comes? Another quote from Mr. Diamond. It's just going to go through a storm. And in fact, going through a storm gives us opportunities too. So I always remind myself the economy will be a lot bigger in 10 years, end quote. In the end, all of the bank earnings reports were pretty similar. They're all being forced to be more conservative due to the Fed's stress test requirements, and they're all still making money. Some can argue, hey, I'm glad the Fed's getting a little tight on them right now as the economy gets a little dicey, potentially. Others may look at it and say, this is exactly the time we need banks lending more. I think there's an argument on both sides, but the rules are the rules, and we are where we are. And in the end, the market did end up getting it right. You know, the articles from JP Morgan, everything, you know, it scared everybody Thursday morning. No question about it. But all of the big banks recovered nicely after Thursday's drop. And all of the big banks, except for JP Morgan, ended the week up. JP Morgan ended the week down a little more than 1%. From there, you can go to the top. Bank of New York Mellon ended the week up about 3.6. Wells Fargo ended the week up about 2.4. Morgan Stanley up one and three quarters. Bank of America up about one and a half. So it was a very good week for the banks in the grand scheme of things, considering the volatility we had Thursday. So now we wait. We wait for the next shoe to drop. That next shoe is the Federal Reserve's interest rate decision on July 27th. Chairman Powell is going to get to weigh in on this inflation data, and he's going to get a weigh in as he decides whether or not this inflation or specifically headline inflation is peaking. We're going to get another rate increase. I think everybody agrees with that. Right now, the market is putting about a 70% probability on a 75 basis point hike. Until then, earnings are going to be the big story. Only 35 S&P 500 companies have reported, mostly the big banks plus a few others. Next week, we're going to see that number more than double. I think we have 78 companies reporting next week. So it will be a pretty information-filled week. We're going to be able to see some information from a variety of sectors and get a much better sense of how the economy is doing. Hopefully, a week focused on results and not predictions. We'll see a little less volatility, but we're all going to be waiting anxiously for that July 27th report. I will wrap it up. I do have one housekeeping item before we end it for the day. We are not going to have a podcast for the next two weeks. Your faithful host has to be traveling and will be unable to record from the road. So with we will have our weekly insight memos. I'd continue to encourage you to take a look at those. We're just not going to have the podcast. So if you're a podcast listener instead of a memo reader, just know you can get that information in the memo for the next two weeks, and we'll be back with you shortly. As always, if you have any questions, need any help, please feel free to give us a call. You can reach us here at the office at 515-273-1333, or you can always get us on the web at www.insightwealthgroup.com. Hope you have a great week. Take care. Securities offered through Arate Wealth Management, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, NFA. Investment advisory services offered through Arate Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment firm.